Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we check in on the COVID situation in Montreal as the Habs have had their next three games postponed. We'll talk to our colleague Brian Wilde of Global Montreal, and then we'll turn our attention to the Jets and Canucks with Sportsnet's Ken Weeb on the podcast. Describe the feeling in Montreal right now. Kind of shocked, actually. I mean, everything was going so smoothly, and you just kind of uh, took for granted it was going to continue to go smoothly. Um, weather here is nice. Everybody's feeling good. You know, it's like 18 today, and everybody's happy. And um, and then, boom, uh, now Monday at the earliest, and you hope nobody else joins the list. And now everybody's contemplating uh, what the schedule might look like. How are you going to get all these games in? Because uh, it was one thing in the beginning of the year to have some difficulties because you had a calendar in front of you that you could make up some dates. Uh, now we're on the second half of the schedule here. It's going to be a lot harder to make up these dates. But I think the primary objective right now, as far as uh, concern is, is you just hope this stays at two. Right, so no other players were added to the list today. So take us back to yesterday, Brian. When did you find out that things weren't going as planned for the Oilers-Habs game? Uh, it was about uh, quarter to five. Um, I was actually on the phone with Eric Engels, and uh, he was talking to me with half of his attention, and the other half he was updating the uh, COVID uh, list, and he went, oh, geez, uh, UL Armia has just joined the list. We kept talking. <laughs> and then he said, uh, oh, geez, uh, Sperry Kukinyemi has joined the list. And he said, uh, I got to go. <laughs> and then uh, during the 6 o'clock hour, he was on Sportsnet. So um, that's how that went for him. And I just kind of just, you know, then started uh, tracking it myself. And then the, the shock that the game was off, even though they were, like, throwing out the pucks on the ice as a pregame skate was going to be had. I mean, that's how tight it was, you know. I mean, it was like 25 after 6. And at the Bell Center, everything was going as per usual. The pucks were thrown out, the Gatorade bottles were in place, and then suddenly the athletes didn't get out there. And then they made the announcement that uh, um, the on-ice officials, um, the off-ice officials, pardon me, and the scorekeeper guys like that, uh, they were the first uh, that told everybody that uh, uh, we just got the word, it's it's off. Uh, And then today... Uh, you wait around all day knowing that they got tested in the morning. They closed the facility in Brassard that they practice at, uh, which is about seven kilometers from the Bell Center. And uh, then you waited for the results, and they came uh, with a TBA after 5 o'clock on the COVID protocol list from the NHL. So uh, we hope that TBA was good news. But I guess what this means is uh, they were waiting a second day to make sure that they got uh, the same result that they got on the first day. And that's why they're waiting five days because they must have got that second positive. It's the only logical explanation because now they can't let anybody gather uh, because we're in the incubation period now. Uh, Monday makes sense because that's about six days. And I know the Canadian government wants to quarantine 14 days, but sports leagues uh, like the NHL, uh, like MLB last fall, They've been treating it as six days clearance because 85% of the cases of COVID reveal themselves uh, as test positive within six, seven days. So that's the protocol they're taking here. They're making sure that none of these guys are around each other for six days and uh, they'll continue to get tested safely each day until then. 
and we hope it stays at two. And if it stays at two, they can get back to hockey on Monday with uh, Kutkaniemi and Armia not being allowed to play until um, that time that they test negative. And you can correct me on this. I think it's three times they have to test negative, but it might be only two. I'm not positive there, but they would have to test negative uh, before they're allowed back. But the rest, if they're all fine, would be allowed back on Monday. But right now we're in the incubation period, and that's why they're being safe for the next six days. It's really stunning, Brian, that we haven't had really any issues in Canada, yeah. right? It was kind of a knock on wood situation, I think, to start. And mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but I think maybe we took for granted that we'd get to the finish line without any issues. And here we are being I, reminded I that there are challenges to playing a sports league in a pandemic. Yeah, I took it for granted. Absolutely. I mean, when I uh, was looking at all of the difficulties that other teams were having in the United States, I mean, I'll, you know, I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, I was doing the old America snicker. Um, you know, and that America snicker, uh, with COVID is usually coming back to bite you, you know, uh, because this thing doesn't, uh, take any prisoners, no matter where you live, no matter how hard you try to uh, behave perfectly, it still finds its victims. Um, so, you know, you're right. You're absolutely right. Uh, I thought we, I thought we'd make it too. Uh, and you know, knock on wood that this is the end of it, that, uh, the rest of the Canadian teams will, will uh, be okay. I think they made the right call, boy, though, yesterday. You know, um, the thing you worry about is if they pass it to each other on the ice, which I think did happen once between Buffalo and New Jersey, if I'm not mistaken, where only one team had it, then they played a game, and then suddenly the other team had it. So that could have been a worst-case scenario. So good for the NHL. They learned their lessons. They're doing really well, you know. Uh, you can hear about it in England in soccer, the difficulties. You can hear about it in MLB last year, all the difficulties they had. I mean, uh, I believe it was the St. Louis Cardinals that didn't even finish their schedule, leaving uh, two games on the board, Detroit Tigers as well. Uh, but they can't leave these on the board, you know, because uh, they can't leave three order uh, Canadian games on the board and uh, say they don't matter. Uh, they got lucky in baseball because a lot of times it doesn't matter at the end. You leave two on the board and the percentages wouldn't have changed and the spots couldn't change. But there's no way, there's absolutely no way that it's possible that you can leave three games on the board and have the Oilers six points clear of their next team and the Canadians six points clear of their next team. It seems statistically impossible to me that they don't have to play those games because both of those teams are six points clear up and down of their nearest rival in the standings. That would be incredible. Yeah, talking with Brian Wilde of Global Montreal. And Brian, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the standings, and Edmonton has three more games played than Montreal, so it's going to be a little easier for them to make up games. Plus, they, they actually get to play Saturday, as of now, get to play Saturday in Toronto, whereas Montreal has to wait a little bit longer. Do you think that... Well, let me rephrase that. I mean, the NHL is in this situation where they've had to move so many games already this season. They've had over three dozen games postponed already. We know that the the season was originally supposed to end around May 8th. That's already been pushed back with a couple Dallas games. Is it really a big deal if they have to delay the playoffs a few days? I don't think it's a big deal. You're playing in a pandemic, and I think you have to be flexible. What do you think? 
I agree 100 percent. And I've already heard discussions tonight that they're looking at opening up the window between May 8 and May 15 to get them in. Because uh, when you look at the schedule, the, the window does not exist, really. Um, and you've got teams playing every second night already. So where do you squeeze those in? You can't make them play three and three. I think it's not even allowed uh, as per the CBA. So where's the hole? You know, there simply is not a hole to play those games in. So they are already tossing around May 8 to May 15. Um, I think for the integrity of it, they want to play those games. I believe at the beginning of the season when things were looking extremely grim for teams like New Jersey and Dallas, that they tossed around just going by percentages uh, on May 8 to 15. But uh, because those difficulties happened earlier in the year, I think the windows have been found for those games. And we're at a place instead now uh, where the only difficulty seems to be, you know, the one that's just suddenly in front of us yesterday and today leading into Monday. So I agree with you 100 um, percent. I think May 8 to May 15 is how it's going to work. And um, hell, when did we play <laughs> the bubble last year? It was August, right? So, I mean, all things are off during COVID. May 8, May 15, who cares? Get the games in. Keep the integrity of it. Uh, I mean, it could even be a blessing in disguise if there are a few more games to go a little bit longer. Maybe we'll get some fans in stadiums if we get enough Canadians with vaccines in their arms. Well, before I let you go, Brian, did I see a report this week that the Habs are looking into how to get fans in the stands for this season? Yeah, you did. Absolutely. They're looking to try to get uh, 20% fans in. The um, uh, Bell Center holds 21273. So that'd be around 4,000 to 5,000 fans. And they're going to ask the Quebec government if that is uh, something that they would allow. The uh, Premier, Francois Legault, is an extremely big hockey fan. So if he's bringing his own bias to this, he'll probably want to get some fans in there. Because what an advantage, right? I mean, home ice advantage. I haven't seen the uh, statistics uh, for hockey, but um, I have seen them for English soccer in the Premier League. Uh, very quickly, I won't take long with this. And um, it's phenomenal. Uh, soccer is uh, statistically the sport with the greatest home field advantage of all sports, coming in at around 68%. And it has gone under 50 uh, with COVID because there are no fans. So there is, in English soccer, no home field advantage at all. So translate that to hockey, where I think it's been pretty much the same thing. The Canadians are actually under 500 at home and well over 500 on the road. You put some fans in the building and suddenly you got a little home ice advantage back. And can you imagine you're in a playoff series and you have fans in your building, but your opponent does not have fans in their building? That's a massive advantage in my estimation. So we'll see how that plays out. But we've seen in other venues, of course, that the NHL wants, you know, teams like Florida and those that have decided that they want to allow fans because of their state governments, um, that the NHL wants you to have an opportunity to make some money. So the NHL will say yes. And I think the Quebec government's going to say yes, too. And Quebec leads the way in vaccinations in the country as well. So at around 12%. I mean, let's admit it, we all got a big way to go here. But uh, who knows what uh, mid-May and after June looks like. So I actually, if I made a prediction, here's my prediction. I say fans in the building. If the Canadians go far enough in the playoffs, that's my prediction. And I, I mean, we're... We're we're not doing well vaccinating wise here in Manitoba, but that's a story. You know, we're that's not a topic. Grady, but let's admit it. We we you know we got country. a little bit of a slow start, but we're moving yeah. now. We're yeah. moving now, and uh, you know we hope for the best.
Yeah, topic for a different show. Brian, thanks for your time tonight. And, uh, hopefully we actually have uh, hockey to talk about in the near future here for you. Yeah, pleasure. Thanks very much. Great questions. Appreciate your time. So the Winnipeg Jets last night get the 4 nothing win. My read on the game, Ken, was uh, it was a, a, a stronger Jets team against a wounded Canucks squad that didn't really have much bite to them. How did you see it? Well, I mean, Christian, I understand that approach and that and that thought. I mean, and I think it would be accurate that they're certainly not anywhere near full strength, but that also didn't prevent them from being 8-2-1 and one in their last 11 games. Uh, and Thatcher Demko was rocking a 9.51 save percentage in the month of March. So uh, I certainly understand the, the, the uh, you know, the opinion for sure uh and it's valid but i do think that uh, people are overlooking uh to a degree what the jets were able to do can they do it again i mean this was a game where the jets were on that other side of what they had faced a lot of this year they've often faced desperate teams coming out of coaching changes coming out of teams fighting for their playoff lives yesterday it wasn't the same scenario for the jets but having lost two in a row for the first time in regulation and having lost three to four there was pressure on them to perform, and they performed. I mean, their top line hadn't played well enough. Guess what? Well, top line led the way. Third line had been going pretty well, but not producing a ton of offense. They scored two goals. Uh, Connor Hellebuck had given up three or more in eight consecutive starts, and in 12 of 13, that's not to say that he let in soft goals or played poorly, but those are not Hellebuck-like numbers. What does he do? Pitches a shutout. It wasn't a high-volume game. He only had 22 shots on goal. I think there were three off the you know iron and then one off the side of the post. But, I mean, for the most part, he made some big saves early when the game was tight and gave his team confidence and delivered exactly what the type of performance he needed to do. So, uh, I mean, again, you can always look for more from a team. There's no doubt about that. There's room for improvement in every game. But uh, I think the Jets answered the challenge, and now we'll see what happens on Wednesday in the, in the, in the rematch. So the Jets had the second line rolling for a few games there and were looking for more from the top line, and it was the first and third lines that contributed most of the offense yesterday. How important is it, Ken, that you've got a team here that any given night, any given line can really do damage? Yeah, I mean, you need four lines to have a sustained run of success in the postseason. I mean, we know the Jets' fourth line uh, chipped in a goal the other day against uh, Edmonton. Uh, they had been having some, you know, fairly decent play. We know Matthew Perot has been uh, back to energizer bunny mode and really playing well and performing and, you know, not just in 5-on-5 five five, but on that second power play. Teams need lines rolling. But one thing we've seen, it's not just from the Jets, and I, and I totally understand that uh, fans in this market have felt some frustration because of one, you know, very obvious thing. There have not been a ton of nights when all four lines or even three of the four lines for the Jets have been going. But this is not a Jets problem, Christian. This is an NHL problem this year in this tough COVID pandemic situation. Uh, not a lot of teams have had four lines blowing the doors off their competition this year. So, uh, again, I see, certainly understand where there's some frustration, but I think perspective is a really important thing when we're, when we're looking at that. But sure, I mean... We know what the Jets said going into the game. Paul Stastny said it in the morning. Blake Wheeler said it after the previous game. He knew that their line needed to be better. And uh, you saw very early, not just with the goal, but uh, with the you know dogged pursuit of the puck and the way he was skating, uh, Blake Wheeler was a determined individual. And you know that line set the tempo, and then they got some secondary scoring, which is you know so critical, as we just talked about. So looking at the the 
rest of this road trip, Ken. You got one more against Vancouver. You got three against the Calgary Flames team that's still trying to find itself with a new head coach. What are your expectations for the Winnipeg Jets heading forward here? Yeah, I mean, Christian, it's a big week for all three of those teams that you mentioned. I mean, Vancouver's trying to keep their playoff lives, uh, you know, going or staying in the race, even though they know they've played more games than everyone else. Uh, and Calgary definitely is going to be sour after losing to Ottawa once again. I mean, uh, they've sort of been, you know, for a team that had been inconsistent, uh, Ottawa has sort of been their kryptonite at times. I think that's the third loss now to to Ottawa, and, and those are crippling losses for a team that knows they have to chase teams ahead of them. So, I mean, I expect there to be a lot of urgency from the Flames. I, I mean, I expect the Canucks to give whatever they have to give. But, I mean, even with the news out of Vancouver today that Bo Horvat is day-to-day, I mean, is that posturing? Is he actually an option for tomorrow? I mean, you you can only take injury commentary at face value at this time of year. And uh, that's, that's, again, coaches are very secretive. They don't want to give their opponent an edge. But if Bo Horvat is not available along with Elias Pettersson, uh, it's an awfully big ask for the Canucks remaining forwards. And, and again, too, Brandon Sutter day-to-day also. And uh, here's the one thing. I mean, Brock Bester has been an MVP candidate for the team team award in Vancouver, along with Demko. Uh, he did not shine very brightly yesterday. That's not to point the finger at him. But for a guy that has, I think, 16 goals, uh, he didn't generate much. JT Miller had two overtime goals on their road trip. That was, you know, so critical for the for the Canucks. He didn't uh, come through with his best game either. So I would expect that those two uh, would be driving the bus for the Canucks. But I think it's a chance for the Jets to you know, reestablish the level of play they had kind of going into this recent stretch. I mean, I think it's maybe a little bit too harsh to call it a wobble. But, I mean, also the facts are they lost 3-4. to four, And in the game that they won, it had to go to overtime because they gave up two goals in the third period. But uh, I think we're seeing those swing swing changes in terms of the score and the momentum in, in a lot of games this year. And the important thing to remember, Ken, is during that stretch, they're facing three teams that are pretty even with yeah. them right now, right? Montreal's right there, Edmonton's above them right now, and Toronto's been up at the top the whole season. So you give a best-of-seven series between any of those three teams, and it's feasible and probably likely that they're all going six or seven games. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's sort of, I'm just trying to reiterate that point. I think one through six, uh, I mean, there's not a whole lot of separation. I mean, I think it's fair to say that Toronto is probably the best team in the division. I think that's fairly clear. But the best team in the division just lost five out of six, even though I think that the the Leafs would tell you, their brass and coaching staff would tell you, they played well in five of the six games. Uh, they got goalied a couple of times and special teams against the Canucks was the difference in that series where they lost two in a row for the first time. So it's the ability to regroup after losses and not let uh, losing streaks or bad habits fester that is going to separate uh, the difference between who's in the playoffs, who's not, who could be fighting for first place, and who's not. So uh, one, one other thing I want to c- touch on from the game last night, I know there's been a lot of uh, debate and discussion on the defense core, and I mean, I'm part of that. I mean, I'm part of the discussion. I, I think that, you know, I think that in a perfect world, Dylan DeMello uh, Josh Morrissey pairing, I think it makes a lot of sense. And uh, personally, I think I, I would have liked to see them stick with it a little bit longer. But at the same time, uh, you know, Tucker Pullman and Josh Morrissey played probably their best game of the year together last night. Um, on for three, even strength goals again, or goals four. And uh, I mean, again, Palmer said it was a matchup thing. And as it turned out, that pairing did their job against the matchup. So uh, this is not to, you know, Josh Morrissey's not playing at a level he had played at two years ago. I'm not suggesting that, but 
Uh, he's starting to settle in. I think there's been some uh, improvement in his game. And here's a guy that, that cares an awful lot about his game, and he's going to do everything in his power to be you know, the Jets' best defenseman or one of the Jets' defensemen during the second half. So I think that was an important step for him again last night. Ken, I don't know if you'd have the answer to this, but do you think that players on the defense know that all we talk a lot, a lot of what we talk about is the defense and how they need to be better and they're, they've got to make it a priority at the trade deadline and all the articles written about the defense that they have to get to bolster the co- defense core. Do you think that's something they they know about or do you, do you think they don't care? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of times where the, they don't care as much, but I don't think that doesn't mean they don't know about it. I think that you know, in one of those discussions with Nathan Bully at the start of the year, I asked him about the emergence of social media and especially in a year where you know, you're stuck in your hotel room or your home uh, for a lot of the time. You're naturally going to gravitate to your phone. I mean, I don't think, I mean, I'm sure sometimes players get emotionally attached to it and it probably ticks them off, but this isn't a new development. I mean, uh, last year the Jets knew that their defense core was under siege uh, after the overhaul, and I mean, they spoke about it at various times as well, but I, I don't think it's a, I don't think they would adopt any sort of us against the world kind of mentality, but I think they could use that as fuel, certainly, sure. But again, these are guys that are naturally motivated. They don't they don't need uh, the media or others in other markets to tell them that their defense core needs to be better. And I think the other part of the discussion that often happens when those topics are raised is that if you look at recent history, I mean, there were times when the Pittsburgh Penguins won the Stanley Cup with a little bit of an underheralded defense core also. And I think those guys would say, hey, try to be like that team. I mean, try to block out the outside noise, but they know they need to play better as a unit. And it's not just the defense core, Christian. The Jets as a team need to play better as a five-man unit, and that would help their back end. I mean, all teams have flaws. So the Jets are a forward-heavy, top-heavy team with elite-level goaltending. You can't pay every player six to $8 million. I mean, that's just the reality. Uh, the construction of rosters happens the way it happens. We know Toronto has four high, high-end forwards making the majority of their cap money. That That's how they chose. I mean, they're, the Jets aren't the only team that's that's sort of going a little bit more of the under-the-radar style when it comes to D. But uh, certainly it'll be interesting to see if the Jets add. And then the other part, too. So Logan Stanley, uh, you know, career-high in ice time the other night. He's, he's made some nice progression. And, and when those pairing flips happen, I mean, Dylan DeMello is a great partner for Logan Stanley, and those two played very well together also. So there have been times when the Jets' defense core has played very well, but as a whole, the group needs to be better defensively. I mean, that's priority number one. It was priority number one in training camp, and it will be priority one for this group until game 56 and beyond if they make it. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Of course, that is when the Jets are not playing because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. We try to warn